Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, our song, and our salvation. Amen. Here is today's sermon in four words. We need each other. Western culture, and American Western culture in particular, tends to balk at this truth. <clears throat> Our concepts of rugged individualism and national exceptionalism get in the way, frequently, of that rock-bottom truth. And I'd go further, too, to say not only that we do need each other, we were in fact created and are here for the express purpose of needing each other. I cannot be my full self without Grantner and Jude and Ivy here with me. And they need us, too, all of us, not just their parents and godparents, but every one of us, from the children of this church to were here with upstairs, up in front earlier, to the oldest of us here, to the folks who are out there on the internet who could be right next door or halfway across the globe. God has made us to need each other. But not like machine parts of a mechanical wind-up toy <clears throat> that are inanimate and replaceable. Instead, God has made us to need each other like a body, a living, breathing, feeling, hurting, caring, vulnerable, exquisite body, where each infinitesimal part of each atom of us is actually a moving point of energy related to every other moving point of energy within us and within the entire cosmos. That's exhausting just to begin imagining. <clears throat> Bodies get exhausted. And we have certainly learned how our bodies do that in the last couple of years. It is remarkable how a practically invisible virus can wreak havoc on our entire system. It has shown us how losing something as seemingly innocuous as our sense of smell or seeing something as small as our toes become swollen and discolored can signal something so much more dangerous. We've had to relearn the importance of washing our hands thoroughly and familiarized ourselves far more than any of us would have imagined with the nether reaches of our nostrils. <laughs> we have seen how something as simple as wearing a mask protects us all, and how claiming our individual rights not to puts us all in danger. For all the harm this virus has done, perhaps the one tiny silver sliver of a lining it has shown us is not to take any part of our bodies for granted. As Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just as we're learning some vital lessons about our physical bodies through this pandemic, we are also being made aware of aspects of the body politic that have been far too easy to ignore. 
We've come to realize how much we truly depend on what we now call essential workers. Bus and truck drivers, teachers and childcare workers, grocery personnel, social workers, plumbers, utility companies, parents, not to mention emergency services and medical workers of every stripe. Even though many, many of those professions are far on the low end of the pay scale. And when things are going well, it is easy to completely take them for granted. At the same time, we're learning how important coordination of all those services is as well. Remember how one container ship stuck in the Suez Canal created such a ripple effect of backlogs last spring? Bodies, whether individual or institutional, are intended to work together in harmony. And when they don't, it is painful on every level. Or as Paul quite rightly says, when one member suffers, all suffer together. And when one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Throughout this 12th chapter of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul uses this image of a body to describe the church as the body of Christ. He was talking to that particular congregation at the time, though in every generation since then, the church has continued to learn from this rich and ever-evolving image what it means to live together, many diverse parts intentionally created to work as one, as the body of Christ in the world, God's physical presence intended for blessing, growth, healing, connection, renewal, and death, and resurrection. And truly, we could spend many weeks studying the many layers and ramifications of this passage, both for this church and the church at large, and indeed for the whole creation. But for today, before we delve further into Paul's image of the body, I want to turn to the Hebrew scriptures that Elizabeth read and which you will notice in the bulletin is a chopped up passage from Nehemiah. If you were following along in your pew Bible, you'll see that the excised version, the excised verses there contain long lists of names. <clears throat> and the revised common lectionary kindly lets the reader off the hook by not putting them all in there. Um, but obviously, the reader, the writer of Nehemiah, thought it was important to include those particular people. He wanted the record to show that standing beside the priest Ezra as he returned to the reading of the law for the people were also Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah. Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Mashulam, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Yakub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelitah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah. I looked up how to pronounce those. <laughs> <coughs> And I found more than I expected in the process, because the meanings for each of those names were given as well. And discovering those meanings brought an entirely new sense of that gathering at the water gate, 
and why it was important to name the folks who were there. Because standing with Ezra, whose name means help, were also gift of the Lord. Here, Yahweh has answered, light of the Lord, God is my portion, work of the Lord. Also, Yahweh has redeemed, the Lord is my king, riches, considerate judge, Yahweh remembers, and friend. And helping Ezra also were salvation and built, Yahweh's scorching heat, right hand, supplant, which you might remember was Jacob's name before he was renamed Israel. My rest, praise of the Lord, crippled, Yahweh has helped, the Lord has given, the merciful one, and Yahweh does wonders. Nowhere could I find explanation of how or why Ezra chose those particular representatives to stand with him and proclaim God's word to the gathered crowd. But I wonder if perhaps it was because he wanted that body of returning exiles not only to hear the word of the Lord, but to see how in fact it was embodied in the very persons who stood before them as well. If help could stand and proclaim God's hand at work, how much more could he do so when joined by the Lord has answered, crippled, supplant, and God does wonders. Even without the book in front of him, the people who stood up with Ezra were the message that God wanted to convey. All of it, all of them were necessary for the body of God's people to be whole in their own conflicted and uncertain time. And that's the very point that Paul is making in his letter to the Corinthians. And especially given the divisiveness and infighting of the church there, Paul's argument was both needful and surprising. Reading between the lines of Paul's letter to the congregation, one gets the sense that they could hardly be described as a body of believers, much less a body of Christ. They were more like a bunch of bodies jockeying for position. Who's more skilled, more gifted, more prestigious? Paul cuts through all of their rugged individual, individual distinctions and gives them a new way to see themselves as one body where every part is needed and interrelated and all together they serve to show the world Christ's living message of selfless love and reconciliation. Just as the body is one, with each distinct and varied part having its own vital place in the body, so the church is one, with each of its individual parts adding to and serving the purpose of the whole. This sounds really good in theory. In practice, though, as the Corinthians and just about every church body since then has discovered, <clears throat> it is not as easy as it sounds. A human body is created so that the parts function together. 
The hand automatically cups itself around the ear to hear better when somebody is whispering. And those vibrations go through bone and brain and nerve endings and miraculously into the muscles so the body can respond to the message received. Legs get the body running toward a cry for help or away from danger after the pricking of hairs on one neck sounds the alarm. Tears form and fall in response to pain or loss or beauty. These things happen without our even thinking. It's the way our individual bodies are formed. The church as a body, though, is comprised of lots of individual bodies, individually formed, and not only with our own skills and gifts, but also with our own histories, practices, traumas, and opinions about how we should be used. Our formation as a whole is not usually emphasized. We can forget that as the body of Christ, our primary purpose in life is not our own survival but the ongoing work of Christ in the world. Let me say that again. As a church body, we are not here to survive, neither as persons nor as an institution. We are here to embody God's abundant life for the world. And for that to happen, every part, every body is needed the pains in the neck and the twitching fingers just as much as the warm hearts and the strong backbones. When we lived in Vermont, <clears throat> I remember one church member saying of another, I have no use for her. A lengthy conversation ensued during which I tried to make Paul's point clear. When we're part of the church, we all have use for each other. We need the pains as much as the pleasures, the parts that limp as much as those that leap. God uses all of these, all of us, those named friend and supplanter, as much as those named Yahweh remembers and salvation for the body to learn and grow and do God's work in the world. I think the response to my considered theological discourse was something along the lines of, yeah, but she still really bugs me. <clears throat> but note this. It's precisely what has bugged us about the coronavirus that has shown us how much we need each other and has led to some of the most thoughtful, far-reaching, creative, and healing discoveries imaginable. It's the pain that has connected us and indeed, when things bug us in our human bodies, our bodies automatically respond with healing properties. White blood cells rush to surround an infection. The urge to sleep reminds us we need to rest. Tears flush out invasive particles from the eye. Pain teaches us what we need to pay attention to, and we're created to do just that. Truly, when one suffers, all suffer together. But more than that, all work together to address the suffering. Why is it then that within the body of the church, the worldwide body as much as any local body, when something or someone bugs us, 
rather than going directly to the painful area and working for its healing, often our first response is to cut off, to declare that we have no use for that part of the body and act as though it has no bearing on us. When we do that, we damage ourselves and do a disservice to the God in whose multiform and interrelated image we are made, each and all of us. God has given us everything we need in each other to be a healing presence. But we have to take the time to identify what hurts and why before we can figure out how to heal. Here's a personal example. For about a year, I had an increasingly painful tooth. I went to the dentist a number of times and had some small cavities filled, but with no relief. They sent me to a dental surgeon who told me a root canal would fix the problem. So, got that, it didn't. Didn't fix it, the pain continued. Maybe they missed something, the surgeon said, so they redid the root canal on that tooth. Pain continued, and at times it was all I could think about. Oh no, the surgeon said. Maybe it's actually referred pain from the tooth next to that one. So a root canal was done on that one, too. And the pain continued. In fact, it kept increasing. Then one day I had a long overdue phone call with a friend that I had known for more than 50 years and in whose living room, by the way, I intentionally gave my life to Christ during a prayer meeting one night when I was about 13. When I mentioned the tooth to her, she told me that she had suffered for years with trigeminal neuralgia, which is a chronic misfiring of the trigeminal nerve that goes from the brain into the upper and lower jaws and causes intense pain where the nerves end. Guess where? My symptoms, though less severe than hers, were exactly the same. And on the basis of that conversation, I finally saw a neurologist who prescribed medication that calmed the nerves and relieved the pain ever since. There are lots of morals to this story, but here are just a few. Sometimes removal of the offending member is not the answer. Deeper investigation is needed. Pain can come from far beneath where it shows up on the surface. Some things simply will not get better with time. We can't always see how things are related at first. And so working toward healing can be a long, experimental, and meandering process. But one other point stands out for me in this experience, and it's this. If the source of pain isn't always apparent, neither is the source of healing, but it is there. It is in the body, if we remember just how vast and rich the body of Christ in the world is. And if we treat the process of healing, that slow process of healing, with both love and curiosity, 
It was, after all, a random phone call with a friend and not the repeated initial visits with specialists that helped me get to the diagnosis and to the remedy. We need each other. And sometimes the source of our healing comes first from sharing our suffering with one another. So let's bring that question home. What hurts here? Where is this body suffering? We were reminded last week that we as a church body have countless remarkable gifts among us and we should celebrate those riches every chance we get. But it is also necessary to discern and to name the pains we carry, some of them chronic, so that we can address them, not with judgment or accusation or distancing or blame, but with loving curiosity and compassion. How did we get here? These newly baptized children remind us what a privilege and a joy it is to tenderly care for the miracle of God's presence in the flesh and blood of a precious body. It is an equal joy to care for this body that God has given us in each other and to do the hard, blessed, purposeful work of embodying Christ's healing and wholeness for the world. We need each other for all of that work. The noses and the eyes along with the spleens and the synapses. The ones named hearing and crippled along with ones named Yahweh's scorching heat and salvation. The gifts of this particular congregation and the gifts that God has given into the body of the world around us. When something bugs us, and it will, let us patiently try to figure out where that nerve ending begins. What we truly need to do that work is right here among us. We need each other. We have each other. We are the body of Christ, and we are placed here in God's beautiful and bruised world to show what it means to live in blessing and growth, and healing, and connection, and renewal, and death, and resurrection. May it be so. Amen.